Welcome to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 71. In this minute, we wave goodbye to our gentleman caller and we learn how to accept awkward displays of gratitude. Get ready to set sail on Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 71. Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 71. 71. Home stretch, guys. In the home stretch. So in this here minute, Minute 71, we have Nathaniel again. He, in the last minute, said, I shan't forget you. And one of the more poetic lines of the movie. Sure. Something stands out about this line, you know? So the, the line is, half man, half shark, equals one complete gentleman. It's nice. It is. Great delivery. It's got a certain grace to it. Je ne sais quoi. I don't speak Spanish. It's just a nice moment, you know, like Nathaniel looks good, looks confident. When they do cut to Chalky, I mean, he seems appreciative of the comment. Do you think this is like a mathematical constant? Half man plus half shark equals one complete gentleman? Mm. Is it a universal truth? Are we to believe if there are other half men, half shark out in the world that they are also complete gentlemen? Yeah. If Chalky being a nice shark man is not a result of like learned behaviors or choices he's made. If he is acting instinctually and his instincts are to be courteous and thoughtful and polite and all that, then I think we could assume that most, maybe not all, but most half man, half sharks are gentlemen. Dakuwaka in Fijian mythology is a shark god, half shark, half human. He was greatly respected by fishermen because he protected them from any danger at sea and sometimes protected them from evil denizens of the sea. Mm. So a gentleman, another example of a half-man, half-shark gentleman. Yeah. Maybe there are many half-men, half-sharks of mythological characteristics protecting islands throughout the ocean. Fiji, Hawaii, Hell's Bucket, they all have this kind of role in which they are serving as guardians in some way of humanity. And, you know, there's definitely some politeness around that. Gentlemanly behavior. I'm not saying Chucky didn't do great deeds. Don't get me wrong. But what was so gentlemanly about what he's done? He's more of a hero. Not necessarily a gentleman. I looked up both the, uh, so from both the <laughs> Gentleman's Journal and uh, more importantly, our good friends over at WikiHow, a number of characteristics that make up a gentleman. Uh, WikiHow broke it down into four kind of overall categories. First is be presentable, which includes having proper hygiene, dressing well, keeping yourself well-groomed, having a firm handshake, and uh, having some self-awareness in public, you know, to not, not being offensive. And it looks like Chucky takes pretty good care of himself. He does. He is well-groomed, for sure. Yeah. Second group, uh, be polite. First thing under be polite is uh, to help those around you. He's a helper. Make polite conversation. He's not a talker, but they also say, don't curse don't talk about yourself too much and avoid controversial or uncomfortable topics. Oh, he certainly speak. does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, yeah, treat everyone around you with respect. He's been very respectful towards Nathaniel. And then the, the last section is being a gentleman to your significant other, mm. which includes being selfless, standing up for them, don't say negative things to them, and respect their limits. So I think in this way, you know, we can see Chucky going out of his way to help Nathaniel any way he can. So I think by a number of these criteria, we can argue that Chucky exhibits quite gentlemanly behaviors. So Chucky, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a salute. I think we had this last time off the raft. It's more of like a like a side wave kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Doesn't imply any sort of military training, I wouldn't say. Now, this is a wave this time, and then he follows it up with there's some sort of, like, wink or blink that occurs. Mm-hmm. I see this wink as very intentional and endearing. Yeah, I have it as, like, a double wink slash squint. <laughs> exactly. Very tender. Is the cherry on top of his wave, just showing its sincerity. You know? Yes, absolutely. Do you think Chucky knows that Nathaniel is, like, leaving he realizes that. Does he subscribe to the newsletter? <laughs> we get the, the, the tender wink, blink, squint from Chalky, a smile, and then he turns and uh, dives into the water. He's got his right arm, like, up and over his head. Yeah. You no, know, it's like a real dramatic move. It's like one of the Muppets movies that starts with, like, Miss Piggy doing this big, like, dance number in the water. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I, I think all the ladies do something like that, that kind of move. I didn't really dive very deep into it, but I didn't see a name for it. So I have a question for you guys. What happens to Chalky after this? What does he do with himself? I started kind of thinking through what happened, and uh, I don't know. I, it took me down a dark road. Why? How? Tell us. So first I, I wondered to myself, like, you know, does Chalky follow the filthy whore? Like, he's that enamored with Nathaniel that he's going to follow him. But, you know, he's he's still, I think, somewhat feral. So I feel like he'll stick to his territory. And then I start thinking about, like, well, what's going to happen to Hell's Bucket after the filthy whore leaves? So on their journey, they've killed the Ice Monster and Mulligan, who we know the Ice Monster from the screenplay was the guardian of Hell's Bucket. And Mulligan was also serving as some kind of deterrent, you would assume, for people visiting Hell's Bucket. With those two gone, and Callie still there, and now newly single, I think it stands to reason that the amount of traffic that Hell's Bucket would end up seeing would increase. And potentially, you know, with all the weird shit going on there, like, I I, I don't know if Hell's Bucket would stay the same. Like, I feel like it would end up being some kind of, like, weird, like, tourist trap or government research type thing. And, you know, you'd have... All these people showing up. It'd probably be fun at first for Chalky, right? There's all these new sailors. There's all stuff dropping in the ocean that he gets to pick up. Then eventually there's going to be boats there all the time. There's going to be people scuba diving. He's going to get harassed. Like, I, I don't know. I think I think the appearance of the filthy whore and everything that they did is is ultimately the, the end of Hell's Bucket as we know. Hmm. I mean... The legend precedes itself of Hell's Bucket. Like, sailors just stay out of there because they stay out of there. It really doesn't have much to do with the Iceman. What I hope is that I see a, a possible relationship between Chalky and Callie. Oh, really? She's alone now. You know, she clearly can make all types of relationships work with different 
bodied people. I don't think it would be much of a stretch to maybe put a tank in there or even her to just uh, move on down to the beach. It would take a lot for them to meet in the first place. I don't know how often she comes down from the mountain, but I can't see him making the trip up. I feel like that would probably be an impossible trip for him. Well, she's going to come down looking for Mulligan. All right, we do see his tail kind of flap back up. Looks good. Hmm. Our last glimpse of him. We see Nathaniel. They had gotten some rope out to him, apparently. He's swimming over on the pocket protector. We still see the two pencils in there. Mm-hmm. You can see it's Big Teddy by the gloves when I'm in. Yep. Do you think somebody grabbed the pocket protector after they finished pulling Nathaniel up? I mean, it seems like the type of thing that you would want to have, like a memento of this like ridiculous thing that just occurred to you. I could see, you know, perhaps like, mm, I'll get that. Yeah. I would turn it into a bed. <laughs> <laughs> like without changing anything, probably, yeah. right? You just slide nice right in there. It's like a sleeping bag. Maybe just slippers. <laughs> pocket protector slippers. Yeah, a lot of little just little insignificant chatter going on as they're pulling them in. You know, Cappy, here you go. Get them. Help them up here. Come on. From skunk, you get a attaboy. Nathaniel, like, sneaks in a little high. <laughs> Big Teddy kind of whoops a little bit. Cappy again with a Yeah. Trina's grinning, gives him a big hug, and then steps back and says, I'm so proud of you, Nathaniel. That was the most courageous and bizarre thing I've ever seen. Then a little awkward laugh at the end of that. Skunk comes in. You saved our lives, kid. I knew you had it in you. Liar. (laughs) (laughs) Cappy comes up. Uh, You're the best cabin boy ever, you little monkey. The pygmy marmoset is the world's smallest monkey. Yeah. Weighs less than an apple, and it can leap 30 times its body length in the Amazon jungle treetops. Where does Kenny fit into Cappy's uh, Cabin Boy rankings? I did think of Kenny with this statement, and it, it was kind of upsetting. Like, it seemed, uh, I don't know, inconsiderate or something. So he could have expressed his appreciation in a different way without denigrating Kenny. Look, it's an intense moment. He's probably just saying whatever. And maybe he means it, but I'm still feeling for Kenny. Yeah, right there. Right there with you. It was like, I was a little taken aback, you know. And and again, the effect of the the close watch, right? Never gave that statement a second thought. The reason they're in this predicament is because of Nathaniel. And if it was Kenny as the cabin boy, they wouldn't have been in that predicament. So the net value of Kenny is better than that of Nathaniel. From what we've seen, yes. We got to put the caveat in that we haven't seen the full history of Cappy and Kenny. He's basing this judgment on the fact that they saved his life, but he put their life in jeopardy. Big Teddy follows up with a not bad for a Jonah. Big Teddy's honest. Mm-hmm. Big Teddy's always honest. There's no there's no bullshit with him. Skunking Cappy. It's like, come on, I, I can't trust words coming out of your guys' mouth at this point. I, I don't think it's the greatest line, but I appreciate the line because... It is so in character of Big Teddy, and it was a call-out to something he said earlier. Another fun moment here. Paps. Here's a switch. You play and we'll dance for you. Frozen the concertina. Nice, nice little moment here. Hmm? Nathaniel beaming. So happy. Yes. Although, what's the story with this shot of Nathaniel's face compared to the rest of the scene? 
like when they switch back to the shot of Nathaniel and it shows him kind of like fake playing the accordion, it just feels uh, out of sync with the rest of the scene. Like it almost feels like, uh, like, I don't know, there's something wrong with the backdrop. It just, it, it feels like a wholly different shot here. I don't know. It, it does almost look superimposed. Exactly. Which seems ridiculous. Like why would the, he, he's just in the backdrop. Maybe they had like, something else in the background or something and they had to like clean it up they were probably trying to get rid of some seams yeah it's a good point actually something is fishy about that now more than i'm looking at it yeah because it's like there's not like natural kind of edges like on his neck it's just like a straight up line yep and just all around his hairline and everything yeah there's something going on there they all dance ish yeah big teddy does even try if hesitantly trina notably does not dance Mm -hmm. so here's the breakdown cappy has his hat in his hand he's kind of swinging his arms at his side and dances around a little circle uh skunk there's a there's a lot of waving arms kind of straight up in the air at one point he has a hand up and he kind of twirls his hand around in a circle there's a couple leg lifts in there as well Paps is more hobbling. He's still all hunched over dealing with whatever medical issue he has. He's also throwing his hands up in the air, and we do get one big leg lift from Paps, which I was a little worried about watching it, but he comes down okay. And then, uh, as you said, Big Teddy, we get a couple little, like, he, he kind of moves his hands up and down in front of him a couple times. There's, like, a quarter turn, and then he stops and kind of just, like, waves off Nathaniel as they cut away. It is a nice moment. <laughs> it is. It's nice to see them all celebrating Nathaniel, everybody happy. Nathaniel, now fully part of the crew. So I think it requires discussion at this point. Mm. Nothing so liberates the heart as when a fool awakes from his folly. Yes. Did he awake from his folly? Yeah, yes, he has. He is awakened from his folly at this point, at at least completely. Probably not. But he is no longer wholly objectionable person right he treats others with some form of respect he thinks about other people he has grown so much in the brief time that we've known him what specifically has he learned and and when did he learn it It, like because it doesn't feel like this is the moment like it doesn't i i think when we you brought it up you know probably 10 minutes ago or maybe 15 minutes ago somewhere around there and and i think at the time i was like i think we have to wait until after he kills mulligan to see if that's the case or not but now that we're here i'm like well it doesn't feel like he learned anything at this moment that liberated his heart and in fact when i think back like when he was on the beach like his heart was liberated then you know he's got that faith in mankind and that whole bit which was more evidence that he was uh, a changed man. It's, it's something that has occurred between the arrival of Trina and the arrival on the island. Like, I think the process was going on at that point, but somewhere in, you know, with the ice monster and, you know, the cupcake and all that, um, you know what? I think maybe it was Chalky saving his life. Taking it all the way back to being rescued and him returning to the boat. I do think that's part of it. The timeline that makes the most sense to me is that 
that I do think that that was a, a part of the beginning of it, right? Because when he gets back to the boat, he seems changed. He seems mm-hmm. like he's part of the crew or he's like, he's at least uh, not despising these people so much. Mm-hmm. But I think, and then gradually, as he started performing his tasks and everything, when Trina comes on, I think that was an opportunity for him to kind of like see himself as part of the crew. And when Trina rejected him, mm-hmm. and in a way, it was the crew that guided him through that. And obviously, the culmination with his love of Callie and that transformation that took place. I think he attributed that to the crew. The height of joy that he was in in that these pipes are clean moment would have never happened had it not been for his crewmates. So I'm kind of thinking that that is really the liberation. And if I had to pick one point, I would think it was his old thumbs bit on the beach where he was just at such a a low personal, you know, reflective point of himself where he Mm. felt helpless maybe for the first time in his life. And that was like his rock bottom and the boys in a way propelled him forward. Yeah. I guess the revelation that I'm making in this moment, because I would have always thought that that pipes clean bit was like, you know, him losing his virginity, that that was the kind of awakening that changed him. But I, I think it is more than that. I think it was, him being rejected by Trina and feeling that he was hopeless and helpless and would never be able to figure it out. That was really the stimulus. His almost death and then return to the boat, you know, that that sort of like wiped the psychological slate clear for him, gave him an opportunity to, to build himself back up. And he was able to do that one-on-one with the crew where whether or not they were accepting him, he saw himself as part of the crew, part of a larger whole and not just a fancy lad. But he couldn't complete the transformation without the presence of Trina to not only be, you know, the whole other half of humanity that he has to interact with, but also force him to, to look at not just his, his social life, but also his romantic life and to kind of investigate his like full person. And as you said, that her rejection of him, you know, that was his his assumption that she would simply be as happy being with him as she as he was with her was probably a residue of his kind of fancy led upbringing. That of course everybody likes him. Mm-hmm. And her rejection of him was kind of like the lab pushes away that last bit of like, no, it removed the last bit of privilege that was in his mind. I guess that's the connection that I'm struggling with here, making the connection between him awakening from his folly, because we're, we're assuming his folly is like treating people like shit. And I don't, you know, his like fancy upbringing and all that. But I, I don't necessarily think that that's why Trina didn't like him. In my mind, that's the reason that he eventually changed because he couldn't like get what he wanted in the usual way and it was so frustrating for him that he had to like find a new way to do it so it's not like he said like oh being an asshole is like not a good thing to do i should act differently it just kind of like organically happened from the side if you will not like direct on yes would he have had any like conscious examination of his actions at any point here as much as he's awakened now, he's still not that self-aware. 
Well, which also makes me think, like, how long is this really going to last, right? Particularly if he's like moves on from the boat, if he goes works in the hotel chains, like is his heart really liberated, or is it just in these extreme circumstances? Stay tuned for Cabin Boy Part Two. Mm. So we do get a, another shot of our Hell's Bucket map again. Yes. Look, I, I, it gets me every time. It sucks me in. <laughs> To you know, there's every time they show this damn map, it's it's I find some other little detail that I didn't see last time. Again, I did do research on this. I just I wound up in the same spot that I wind up every time, where it's everything just pulls you in all different directions and nothing really comes together. Again, I'm I'm interpreting ocean depths and trying to compare <laughs> them to the positions in other places. But ultimately, not, none of it was really clicking yet again. And I just, I, it just, more red herrings and just, just as lost and frustrated at the end. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, similar, I started going through, like, you know, looking up things again. Yeah, I, I, similar round of investigation. So that leaves us with two possibilities. Well, three. The map is a lie. The map is wrong. Or in the Kevin Boy universe. All of these things exist somewhere to the east of Hawaii, and we just need to accept their presence in Camboy land and not here in the real world. Even, like, the numbers and the lines and everything don't make any sense. They're not latitude. It almost makes me, the more we talk about it, it makes me feel like they just, like, have some program that, like, overlaid different, like, nautical maps on each other to give it this kind of, like, I don't know, crazy look and depth. I mean, maybe it was something like that. And that's well, why we're finding things from, like, Norway and Antarctica and uh, the Philippines and all over. Because it's not any one place. It's just, like, all these lines from different places. Well, and th- this was made in, what, 1993 is when they were shooting this? So, you know, did they really have a computer program that was putting that all together? Or was that somebody sitting there, like, just drawing a bunch of crazy shit? And like, all right, here's your beta map. It's a good point. That's sounding like the most logical thing. But there is one shocking revelation to be told there is. in this minute. Yes. I believe, uh, Robert, you made some uh, shocking revelations. Please. So I'm looking at this map, trying to make some sense of it, trying to place Hell's Bucket on, on our uh, dear Earth. And uh, I go back to the original viewing of the map, and I was trying to make out underneath the picture of Hawaii that Kenny has drawn on the map in this minute. You can see there's a name that the, the trunk of the tree is drawn over. It looks like it said, like, Soma Hast or something like that. But I couldn't quite make it out. So I went back to the original viewing of the map during the storm. And uh, the drawing has changed. The word Hawaii has moved. It's the same map, but the drawing has moved, yes. So we are either dealing with multiple maps or... Someone went ahead, erased what Kenny had drawn on the map, and redrew it. So should we look at this from a production standpoint first or from a Cabin Boy Universe standpoint first? Production first. The map got wet? You know, it wouldn't surprise me that something like that they have multiples of. Yeah, just because it's probably probably relatively easy to bake. And like, you know, like you said, it gets wet, gets lost, they steps on it, some shit like that. Thinking about it, I wasn't 100% surprised that they had multiples. You know, maybe you want to do a shot 
two different shots at the same time or something like that. So I wasn't wholly surprised on that front. And I guess I'm also not wholly surprised that it's not in the exact same place because who gives a shit other than us? Exactly. <laughs> who the hell would ever? Has anyone ever noticed that before? No. Before. Now, from a cabin boy perspective, what do we think happens to the map? We get this view of the map. You know, it's not like they open up the map on the ship and then they kind of zoom in and look over this. Maybe this is Kenny's map after he died and he's recreated it himself while he's watching the filthy whore kind of go through. And when he redrew the map. <laughs> so this is like it's a shot of like Kenny's map in uh, wherever he happens to be. Heaven, hell, uh, his underworld uh, afterlife or. Yes. Right. Is there not? Ghost map. Okay. I, look, I mean, that's that's something. Right. Cause they're, not, they're not pulling it out. Yeah. Right. OK, let's let's lean into it a little more. You know, he's now like speaks better and dresses better and all that. Perhaps now it is perfectly accurate of where Hawaii would be. Mm, true. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the most logical place we could end up. I'm sold. Ghost map. And then it, it does very cleanly end right at the last little flash of the map. Mm-hmm. Who wins the scene? I've got Nathaniel. I don't like anybody else. And he wow. wins by default. He seems like he's taking this minute seriously while the others just sort of phoned it in. I, I went with Nathaniel as well. He just he genuinely looks really happy. I mean, just his acting is above everybody else. And if you include, which we should, the little bit complete gentleman and all that at the at the beginning, again, he just he emotes well. He's, uh, he stands out. I also gave it to Nathaniel. I mean, half man, half shark. Keep goals on perfect gentleman is a great line. Easily does the best work out of minute. Uh, honorable mention to Chalky, since this is the last we see of him. Any video game or theatrical production ideas? concertina controller you have to break that out again and you play for the crew if you play well you get big teddy to dance if you play really well you get trina to dance call to action um based on uh, half man half shark equals one complete gentleman we'd like to see some version of cabin boy mathematics <laughs> simple simple enough Okay. Gags per minute. I got nine. Number one, half man, half shark equals one complete gentleman. Number two, Chalky's wave and wink. Number three, courageous and bizarre thing I've ever seen. Number four, you little monkey. Number five, not bad for a Jonah. Number six, you play and we'll dance for you. Number seven, Nathaniel's face while he's playing the concertina. Number eight, everybody's awkward dancing. Number nine, Hawaii drawn on the map. <laughs> I had a GPM of seven. Number one, half man, half shark equals one complete gentleman. Number two, Chalky's wave and wink. Number three, most courageous and bizarre thing I've ever seen. Number four, you little monkey. Number five, Jonah. Number six, here's a switch. Number seven, all the boys dancing. I had a GPM this week of five. Whoa. Half man, half shark. Nathaniel swimming on the pocket protector. Most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Will dance for you and their dancing. I combined as a single gag. And then Hawaii. 
quite low for you this week. I feel like yeah. Scott's been real low the last five or six episodes. Yeah, I went high today. I went high, yeah. yeah. Happy Mulligan's gone, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so I've been celebrating. Oh, thank God. <laughs> wow. Well, okay. Scott, you had a GPM this week of nine. Brian, you had a GPM this week of seven. I came in with a gags per minute of five. An average GPM of seven. Right on. Congratulations. Would you like to know what you've won? Um, <laughs> based on the last couple of weeks, I'm not so sure. You win a Honer 20-key angle-style concertina and seesaws for the 20-button angle concertina, both by Gary Coover. Congratulations, and enjoy your new accordion-like thing. Was this the same prize back when we did this last time? And who won it? I, uh, you have to I'm be keeping both. track of this stuff, right? I'm appreciative of it. it I'm pretty sure we we did that. Same. I even remember the Gary Cooper bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well, what have you done? You, you guys may not recall because we actually all shared the prize that week. Oh, so you know. Now I understand. So you are the one that had the concertina at this point. The gigs per minute department, as we know, has been having financial difficulties. <laughs> so you saw the opportunity to try and pass it off on an unwitting suspect. <laughs> Myself. You can't recycle the gig per minute prize. Is it really exactly the same? And, and I'm already entitled to it anyhow. <laughs> I look You're bad. Busted. <laughs> you know, it was that or a wax pencil. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'll take the wax pencil. It's at least something different. <sighs> Did you think you were going to get away with it? I was pretty sure. <laughs> funny, not funny. I went not funny this week. It was a, a celebratory scene but nothing in it that I found particularly laugh-out-loud funny. It was silly, but not enough there for me to give it a funny. Yeah, I said not particularly funny, but giving it a yes, it's funny, or half-man, half-shark, because it's truly poetic. Again, it's like a 50.01%. It's a happy scene. Yes. Other than the half-man, half-shark, there's no like real cabin boy essence funny in it you know i mean half man half shark is funny mm-hmm. it's a great line i also went with not funny didn't do it for me half man half shark was funny but it didn't get the whole minute of funny it just mm-hmm. wasn't enough all right well thank you very much for joining us here on cabin boy minute minute 71 we'll see you next week on minute 72 adios bye bye again for joining us on cabin boy minute please help spread the word tell your friends about us and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action details on how to support the pod or leave us a message or find us on twitter at at 
Cabin Boy Minute. We look forward to joining you again next week. Bon voyage!